0: Escape Pod 117, August 2nd, 2007. Today's story Reggie vs. Kaiju Storm Chimera Wolf by Matthew Wayne Selznick. Hello and welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely. Today we're featuring our first giant monster story. And speaking of huge monsters with funny names leveling communities, I've got a problem with social networks. You know, I think that might be my best segue ever. It's not surprising to me, I guess, that the podcast community is always eager to adopt new technologies and the next hot thing. Podcasting itself was that next hot thing for a while. But lately it seems like there's a new service every week that everybody flocks to all at once, and everybody needs invitations. Just in the past couple of months, I've watched dozens of people I know get excited about Twitter, then Facebook, and Pounce, and 8Apps, and Ning. I'm sure a few years from now, someone's going to hear this intro and laugh at our quaint 2007 ways, but people take this stuff really seriously. I've been finding myself not hostile to the idea of these things, but mostly apathetic to them. They all claim to offer new ways to connect to your friends, and that's great, except, well... I already knew how to connect to my friends. If I wanted to talk to them, I'd email them or message them or just pick up the phone. If I wanted to know what they were doing, or what kinds of pets they had, I'd Google for a website or a blog, or I'd just ask. It didn't have to be all consolidated. I was pretty cool with everyone doing different things in their own way, and when I try to get excited about these sites myself, I just don't find anything to attach to. There are a couple of exceptions. Some of these networks are important to me, and I started thinking about why. One of them, Basecamp, I use for a lot of my work with podcasting and client projects. It was actually a client who put me onto it. He used it to keep his projects managed, and so I had to use it too, and that got me to appreciate it in a depth enough to buy my own account later on. In the past few months, I've been very active on LiveJournal. That started because someone I had a romantic interest in had friended me there, and I wanted to keep up with what was going on with her. Then I started posting myself, and the rest is history. I'm also on Twitter a lot. Same girl, same story. In each of these cases, there was one person who was important enough to me to buy into using the app, and once I was there, I started finding my own value for them. Without that one person to start with, I just can't bring myself to care about a new site. And that leads me to Ely's heuristic, which I'm happy to pass on to anyone who cares to use it. My new rule of thumb for social sites is this. If we're not hoping to work together or sleep together, please don't ask me to join stuff. Our story this week is Reggie vs. Kaiju Storm Chimera Wolf by Matthew Wayne Selznick. It's about as serious as the title sounds. Matt lives in California, he's an active member of the podcasting community himself, and the author of one of my favorite podcast novels, Brave Men Run. He's also the host of the Writer's Talking podcast, you can catch up with everything he's doing, and there is a lot of it, at MattSelsnick.com. The story is colorfully read for us by another infamous, I mean famous, podcaster, Scott Sigler. Scott's the author of the podcast novels Earthcore, Ancestor, Infected, and The Rookie, and his novel Infested will be coming out from Crown Books in April 2008, with a movie option from Rogue Pictures. And if the voices seem over the top, well, this is the way he does his own stuff, which you can find at scottsigler.net. So check the news for weather and monster reports before you go outside. It's story time.
1: Reggie vs. Kaiju Storm Chimera Wolf by Matthew Wayne Selznick Reggie and Ben arrived in Dana Cove six hours after the Kaiju storm had come and gone. This was actually pretty good time. There was rarely any advance warning of a manifestation. But fortunately... Seismic sensors planted offshore triggered storm sirens as soon as the beast roughly sloughed onto the continental shelf. Most of the folks in the projected path had time to jolt out of bed and head elsewhere. The marines at Camp Pendleton mobilized, but the thing was too quick. A kaiju might appear ponderous and slow on the evening news, but their ridiculous size meant they covered a lot of ground in a very short time. They also didn't tend to dawdle. With occasional exceptions, they made a beeline for whatever drew them out, destroyed it, then either turned back the way they came or kept going until they inexplicably disappeared. This one showed up at 3 in the morning. Reggie got the call at 3.15, which wasn't so bad because he hadn't been able to sleep anyway. Giant monster attacks beat staring at the ceiling and dwelling on the past any day of the week. By the time he and Ben were in the plane and on their way to John Wayne Airport, everything was over. The freeway south was hopelessly tangled with traffic. Considering their destination and who he might find there, Reggie didn't mind the delay so much. When they finally made the scene, the swath was overrun with post responders, swarms of insurance agents, FEMA officials, and the media. The post-responder command center took over the athletic field of a high school that sat on a hilltop overlooking Dana Cove. Ben pulled into the parking lot behind an Abrams tank. Reggie, who had been mostly quiet for the drive, tried to snap out of it when they got out of the car. He hooked a thumb at the tank. Remember the first time you saw one of those babies up close? He grinned. I used to think they were so big. Toenail big, Ben nodded. Here come our guys. A tall, thin man with a disheveled comb over strode up to them, palm outstretched. Just behind him came an older man in field military dress. Ned Yarborough, FEMA, said the thin man. This is Colonel Gredley. They shook hands in turn. I'm Reggie Sampson, and this is my partner, Ben Handel. Yarborough looked over their shoulders. You came in that? Reggie and Ben exchanged a glance. It's a rental, said Reggie. Yarborough shrugged. I guess I was expecting one of those VTOL mecha thingies, Reggie grinned. We're not from that division. Besides, manifestation didn't really last long enough for engagement, isn't that correct? Colonel Gredley nodded economically. That is correct. Your entanglement team at the base is on standby if there should be a need. We'll find out soon enough. Yarborough led them through the impromptu village of broad white tents, rows of outhouses, sensor towers, and heavy weapons installations that had obliterated the turf of the athletic field. They stopped at the fence on the edge of the hilltop. You can get a pretty good look at the swath here. On a day without monsters, it would have been a nice view. You could see most of the town center and all the way to Pacific Coast Highway on the misty ocean beyond. A wide, flat, smoking scar of ruin cut from the water to a shopping center half a mile inland. Ben said, must have gone back to the water. Yeah, Reggie considered the gaping crater at the end of the swath. It had been a grocery store, if he remembered right. Look at that. I called Digger. He turned to their escorts. Any eyewitness reports? Nothing detailed, Yarborough said with a glance at Gredley, whose head jerked up and down. It was dark, and power was cut as soon as they knew the thing was coming. Plus, no moon last night. Cutting power was always a good idea. It helped limit fires to those caused by natural gas lines. One orange torch speared up from the swath, but it could have been a lot worse. Reggie wasn't really surprised that his old stomping grounds, he chuckled inwardly at the expression, had its act together. There were 60 years of worldwide collective experience to draw on, especially for coastal communities. Rough idea? Gredley rubbed the silver stubble on his chin. Well, the reports we've gathered indicated apparently had tentacles, but arms too, and a head like a wolf. Ben looked at Gredley, and then at the huge sinkhole down the hill. A thin layer of smoke hung over it. Like a wolf? Ben's great grandfather had been there for one of Fenris's first manifestations in 1945. Reggie himself had been unlucky enough to see the kaiju in Berlin in 89, but Fenris didn't have tentacles. That's all I know. There's some folks here, locals, who might have a better idea. Reggie stared down the hill. The kaiju had stayed pretty close to Donahue Park. The street was a broken, muddy morass. It took out most of the shopping center, too, but seemed to focus on the grocery store. Would Henry's mass still be there? Had Gwen worked in the bar last night? He pursed his lips and sighed out through his nose. Let's go take a look at the hull. Colonel Gredley called up a ride in an M113A Cav. They disembarked from the assault vehicle a hundred yards to the northwest of the pit. Yarborough confirmed that the pit had been a Fargello's market. The difference between the disaster area ahead and their immediate surroundings was extreme. Turn your back on the hole and hold your breath against the foul mesma of smoke and sewage and the town seemed perfect. Pivot 180 degrees and there was absolute devastation. The swath in an almost straight line from the shore. Reggie swallowed. It was jarring to see so many familiar landmarks all but erased. So, is it still in there? Ben squinted towards the hole, bit his lower lip, and blinked slowly. Hey yeah I think it is Reggie almost anticipated the ripple of chills that coursed up and down his spine damn could be right under their feet Yarborough craned his neck and tilted his head at Ben You you're Reggie thought Yarborough looked like a lizard twitching there He spoke for his partner who was still focused on the kaiju's hidey hole Yeah Ben's touched Third generation. His grandfather was in Germany. In the war. Ben's eyes cleared and he smiled quickly. Boo! Gredley was unimpressed. He unclipped a two-way radio from his hip and turned away from the three of them. He'd be ordering up the engagement unit from Pendleton and additional forces. Probably order mandatory evacuation up and down the coast from San Clemente to Laguna Beach. And if they couldn't herd the kaiju back to the ocean maybe as far inland as a Becky Valley or Irvine. Yarborough was visibly curious. That's why you perked up when the colonel mentioned the wolf head. Ben shrugged. Fenris hadn't been seen since it tore up the Berlin Wall. He looked at Reggie, who nodded. It's not really a water monster either. They had been headed for the edge of the hole, but now an unspoken accord had the group moving well away from it. Gredley brought up the rear and spoke into his radio. Reggie led them across the shattered asphalt and twisted lampposts of the parking lot towards a secondary structure, most of which was still erect, if irreversibly battered. They stopped in front of Henry's mast. The shattering effect of stepquakes, including a buckled foundation and liquefied ground, had condemned the saloon. At least it was still standing. There was a good chance Anyone inside during the storm survived. If she had been there, Gwen was probably just fine. Ben said, A little early for a beer. Glass crunched. A figure emerged from the shadowy interior. We don't deserve his kind anyway. Gwen strode out of her bar like it hadn't been eight years since Reggie had seen her. She punched him, not lightly, on the shoulder. You couldn't just write, Reginald, how to make an excuse to come see me? Reggie grinned and flinched simultaneously. Hey, you can't pin this one on me. He rubbed his shoulder. Glad to see you're okay. They hugged, too quickly for Reggie. The contact brought back all the other ways they used to touch. He almost grabbed for her again, but stepped backwards instead. He collided with Ben. Ben casually shoved him. Watch out, Reginald. He shook hands with Gwen. Ben Handel, and this is Mr. Yarborough from FEMA and Colonel Gredley. Gredley put away his radio. Ma'am. Gwen Linder. Hi, Mr. FEMA. I imagine I'll be sitting down with you sooner or later. We'll help get you back on your feet, Yarborough recited. This is your place? Was, you mean? When Gwen turned her attention to the shattered saloon, Reggie got a good look at her despite her front, he guessed she was distraught. It tore at him. Hey, were you here? Her eyes were wide, her laugh broken. You know me, Reg. First in, last out. So you saw it? She nodded. I guess so. Ben stepped forward. Miss Linder, if you could describe. Her face twisted into something between anger and mania. Reggie felt a rush of protective concern. Look, you don't have to do that right now. She fixed him with a glare. He remembered. Gwen rarely allowed anyone to protect her. What am I supposed to describe? She addressed Ben, but kept her eyes on Reggie. The place fell apart around me. She looked away. The ground turned to water, but I never learned to surf. Blonde girl from OC and all that, but there you go. There was a lot of noise. Damn thing I like, roared, I guess, and that took care of me for a while. When I could think again I crawl outside and Paul's store was gone. Reggie looked over at the hole. Had there been a night shift? Had any of them escaped? An uneasy thought struck him. Who's Paul? She smirked. Paul Fargello, Reginald. Who's Paul? Seriously. Nearly a decade and absolutely no claim, but Reggie felt his insides twist. You're going out with Mr. Fargello's market? She held up her left hand. It was stripped with grime and dust, which made the diamond ring shine cold and hard. Congratulate me, Reginald. He's going to make me an honest woman. It would have been okay with Reggie if the kaiju climbed out of its hole right then. It didn't. Yarborough and Gredley returned to the command center, which would be relocating well away from Ground Zero in anticipation of the engagement. Gwen invited Reggie and Ben to wait it out at Paul's house, safe in the hills. Too quickly, Ben accepted for them both. There was no escaping this other pending engagement, it seemed. Gwen gave them directions and then left them in a blue Toyota 4Runner filthy with dust from the swath. Reggie and Ben went back to their rental. Reggie let Ben drive. Man, this is just great. Ben kept his eyes on the bustle of the disassembling command center, but grinned. Seeing your old flame? It's a small world, huh? Reggie snorted. Soon as I got the call, I knew this might happen. You knew she'd be getting married? You're enjoying this a little too much, Ben. They pulled out of the high school parking lot and started up the hill. Even up here, the road was cracked and pocked from the rippling stepquakes of the kaiju. Ben toned down on a smile. Yeah, okay. This one was important, huh? We were together five years. What, um, you know. Berlin, Reggie said. I went to Berlin. How did that? It was right after I took my exams. I didn't know if I'd be accepted or not, but I was confident. I want to take one last trip before the job started. Gwen, she couldn't go. So you broke up. Ben shook his head. Well, that's more or less it. Reggie looked out the window. They climbed into Nigel Heights, a terrace neighborhood that overlooked Dana Cove. Around them, property values rose faster than elevation. I was in Europe three days when Fenris hit Berlin. He shook his head. You've heard the story? It was like being in the middle of history while it was being made. Ben made a neutral sound. What? Nothing, man. Ben glanced at Reggie, then brought his attention back to the road. Must've been something. Reggie looked at his partner. He knew Ben's weird talent didn't work with people, but sometimes it freaked him. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Paul Fargello's house was a three-story sprawling monster that dominated the end of a cul-de-sac. The forerunner was already in the driveway. Ben parked their rental next to it and knocked on the front door. Gwen yelled, It's open! from somewhere inside. Reggie made a face, so Ben opened the door and they stepped in. It was pretty much what Reggie had expected. White walls, hardwood floors where there wasn't gleaming Spanish tile, lots of vertical space and a curving staircase that led to an open second story. More window than wall. If the stepquakes had shaken anything, someone had already cleaned up. The place was immaculate. Gwen sipped from a bottle of water. She had wiped down her face and arms, but hadn't changed out of her dusty clothes. You guys want anything? Ben said, Water'd be great, thanks. Reg? I'm fine. She shrugged, flipped her hair, and went to the kitchen. Reggie turned at the sound of footsteps on the stairs. Paul Fargella was tan and tall. He wore a pale blue dress shirt that Reggie was mortified to see was actually tucked into his khaki shorts. He had Birkenstock sandals on his feet and a cordless phone in his left hand. He grinned at them as he descended. Man, you wouldn't believe all the little details they hit you with when something like this happens. Here's an example, and I kid you not, I actually had to make sure our deliveries for the week were canceled. What were they going to do? Just dump breadfruit and mangoes down the hole? Feed the damn monster? He stretched out his arms and practically shoved Ben's hand into his. He pumped up and down. I'm Paul. It's a real pleasure to meet you guys. He switched over to Reggie. His grip was firm without challenging. Especially you, Reggie, old man. You guys are real American heroes. Reggie pulled his lips back from clenched teeth. Did this guy really just say, Old man? We're hardly heroes. We're just the advanced team. Nonsense. He tapped his chest with a manicured finger. The thump was solid. I'm just a grocer. You're doing important stuff. Ben said, Hey, you keep people fed. Paul's smile had movie star flash. Have you ever shopped at a Fargello's? He shook his head and chuckled. I'm betting my customers could live without their imported beer and South American gourmet chocolate chili powder without any undue suffering. He laughed again. A dull thunder rumbled up from Dana Cove. Fargello's face sagged and paled. He quickly recovered. Hey, is that what I think it is? Let's go out back! Gwen returned with a bottle of Fargello water for Ben. Paul's smiling face was illustrated on the label. If that's what I think it is, let's find a bomb shelter. Her laugh didn't fool Reggie. I don't think that was the kaiju. He tried to sound confident. Ben stepped sideways towards the wide sliding glass doors that led to the back patio. But it is artillery. Fargillo grabbed Gwen's hand and slapped Ben on the shoulder on his way past. Come on! Let's see! Gwen looked over her shoulder at Reggie. He was so shocked by her pleading eyes. All he could do was follow the others outside. They couldn't see Ground Zero from the expansive backyard, but there was no question where it was. Four AH AH-1W Super Cobra helicopters buzzed around a twisting finger of black smoke. The ground shook slightly. Reggie saw Gwen clutch Fargello's arm. That was as out of character as the look he'd just seen on her face. He grimaced. Still out of sight, the kaiju roared. The sound, like most kaiju calls, was polytrimble. It was both a rumbling roar and a painfully high-pitched screech. Reggie and the others experienced it sonically and physically. Behind them, the windows of the house rattled. Reggie felt his bones vibrate and his heart skip. Gwen's knees buckled. Fargello caught her, and they both stumbled to keep their feet. Momentarily deafened, Reggie felt Ben tap him on the shoulder. His hearing returned as Ben hollered at him. "Comes the Kev!' Reggie looked south. The Kaiju engagement vehicle, Kev XA-5, blasted past with a rush of displaced air. Eight streaming trails of white smoke curved away from it, laser-guided, armor-piercing missiles. Reggie didn't need to see their destination. Seconds later, rapid cracks of thunder told him they hit their target. Ground-based artillery units, possibly HIMARS missile launchers, and maybe the Abrams tanks, sounded off and the four super cobras let fly with Sidewinder missiles. They still couldn't see the kaiju. That was a good thing, really. But Reggie wanted to ID it. Jesus Christ, Gwen said. Should we still be here? I don't want to be here. Fargillo looked at Reggie. They usually take the easiest path, Reggie said. He looked at Gwen. It won't come here. It'll stay near the shore. If they can't keep it from moving inland, it'll most likely use the freeway. Most likely. Without thinking, Reggie took hold of Gwen's shoulders. Fargello's hand dropped away from her waist. Gwen! What? Nothing's gonna happen. She looked at him. The anxiety faded on her face, hardened. I've heard that from you before. She shrugged out of his grip and put her arms around Fargello. I want to get the hell out of here. Fargello looked at her at the increasingly smoky signs of the battle and finally at Reggie and Ben well, what's your what, what's your professional opinion guys the unseen kaiju roared again they all turned their attention to the valley even as they cringed a crimson needle of coherent light flashed between the ground and one of the super cobras the helicopter exploded instantly fuck gwen yelled the XA-5 made another attack run. This time, it took advantage of its hummingbird gyroscopics to dart and weave as it closed on the still-hidden kaiju. Hundred-millimeter shells spat from its nose with a white strobing flash. We're safe, Reggie insisted. He looked at Ben. Ben frowned. Just hold on. He closed his eyes. A pulse of thunder sounded, followed by a rattling wave beneath their feet. And another. And another. Step quakes. Reggie bent at the knees to keep his balance. It's moving! Which way? said Gwen. The step quakes kept coming, two or three seconds apart. Behind them, far across the lawn, the sliding glass doors surrendered to the stress with a crash. Fargello cried out. Ben opened his eyes. He looked at Reggie. I need to talk to you! Gwen took a careful step towards them, her arms waving at her sides like a tightrope walker. Which way, damn it? Ben held up a finger and gave her an empty smile. Two seconds. Thanks. He grabbed Reggie's shoulder, and the two of them tripped and stumbled for the far side of the yard. What did you sense? Ben shook his head. He spoke through his teeth, keeping his voice low. Tell me about Berlin, Reggie. What? Quietly. How close are you to Fenris? At the wall. Is that Fenris? Reggie's eyes involuntarily darted towards the unseen battle. I was really close. I could smell it. Rotten meat. I had to take treatments for radiation, even though it turned out I didn't... Why did you guys break up? Ben snapped. What? You and Gwen, damn it. Why did you break up? The stepquakes continued. They danced in place on the inconsistent lawn. Reggie squinted at his partner. Look, what does that have to do with anything? Is the damn thing coming this way or what? Yes, Ben hissed. And I mean right for us, Reggie. Why is that? What are you talking about? Ben put his arm across Reggie's shoulder and jerked them both away from Gwen and Fargello's inquiring and rather panicked expressions. I sense the kaiju, it's not just headed in this direction, Reg. It's headed for this house. This house! Reggie's guts clenched. His throat worked involuntarily. So, you have to tell me. Another step quake jerked them back and forth. The time between quake and thunder was almost negligible now. You have to tell me right now. Why did you and Gwen break up? Gwen screamed. Timing their steps to avoid small pits and sudden sinkholes in the lawn, Reggie and Ben hopped gracelessly back to her and Fargello, who pointed. The kaiju plowed through million-dollar homes and obliterated the residential streets that wound up the hill. Reggie could see it wasn't Fenris. Not exactly. Its head was long, vaguely lupine, but it glittered with a metallic sheen not unlike the scales of a fish. Long tendrils writhed across its jaw. Its fin-like ears pivoted and angled, seeking. The rest of its body was obscenely impossible. The wolf analogy broke down at the shoulders, where two short, muscular arms terminated in gleaming, curved, spoon-like paws with jagged, serrated edges. The body itself resembled nothing so much as an armor-plated slug, save for the four banded legs that were almost tentacles, almost insectoid. Automatically, Reggie estimated it was about 70 meters long and perhaps 30 high at the shoulder. "'Paul! Gwen!' Ben yelled. "'Is there another way off the hill?' Gwen glared at Reggie. "'Oh, so we're so safe!' Paul shook his head. "'No, not anymore!' A gale-force wind hit, almost in concert with another stepquake. The four of them lost their balance." Reggie hit the ground and looked up. The Kev XA-5 hovered over the house. Its belly rotors buffeted them with hammer blows of swirling air. It angled down the hill, weapons blazing. Ben crawled next to Reggie. Why did you break up? Reggie had to yell over the roar of the XA-5's attack. Her father! He was dying! She didn't want me to go! You went anyway! Reggie nodded. Ben crawled closer. He put a hand on the back of Reggie's neck and yelled into his ear. This is important, Reggie. How does that make you feel? Reggie gaped at him. The kaiju roared again. Reggie swallowed bile and blinked tears from his eyes. Red light flashed when the kaiju targeted the XA-5, which darted away, creating hurricane turbulence in the yard. Seriously, Reggie? Reggie turned his head. Gwen was prone on the grass. Paul covered her body with his own. He cradled her head in his arms. Reggie could see his lips moving close to her ear. Her eyes were tightly closed. She nodded again and again. Reggie looked at his partner. Guilty! Ben squeezed Reggie's neck. He yelled into his face. You gotta tell her, Reggie, right now, or we die! What the hell are you saying? Stepquakes bounced his body. His ribs ached. Just do it! Ben yelled, and mean it! The remaining Super Cobras must have joined the XA 5. There was too much cacophonous noise to know for sure, but when the house exploded, Reggie had to assume a sidewinder missed its target. There was no longer a delay between the stepquake and the thunderous pounding of the kaiju's appendages. It was all pain. Too much of this and their organs would shake apart before the monster reached them. Flaming debris rained down around him. Flinching, Reggie crawled to Gwen and Paul. Paul looked up. Reggie screamed at the top of his lungs. Gwen! His throat was raw. He could taste blood. His chattering teeth must have nicked his tongue. The three of them were touching. Vargello's hair tickled his forehead. Reggie smelled his sweat. This would be easier if he wasn't here. It would be easier if there wasn't a damn giant monster shoveling the hillside apart, too. Reggie didn't understand why he had to do this, but if they were all going to die, he might as well. He took a deep breath and gave it all he had. I never should have gone to Europe! Bewilderment replaced terror on Gwen's face. Her mouth twisted against the muddy grass. Reggie drew another painful breath. I SHOULDN'T HAVE LEFT YOU. THE STEPQUAKE STOPPED. I'M SORRY. THE YARD TILTED. PAIN BLINDED REGGIE. THE EARTH ITSELF ASSAULTED HIM. HE CLUTCHED AT GWEN AND PAUL. HE HAD NO IDEA IF SHE COULD HEAR HIM. HIS LIPS PRESSED AGAINST HER CHEEK. I WAS STUPID. SELFISH. I'M SO SORRY. HE FELT HER FINGERS ON HIS FACE. LOOKED INTO HER EYES the earth went crazy. The ground dropped away. Reggie was flying. The Kev tilted across his vision. Terrible pain flashed across the back of his skull. Then, nothing. He had a terrible headache. His body was very sore. He had to be alive. Reggie lay on a cot. He could feel a sticky bandage around his head. He gradually comprehended he was in a makeshift field hospital. He sensed activity around him, but it was too much work to move his head to confirm. Hey! That was Gwen. A torrent of relief filled his eyes with tears. He blinked frantically. Where are you? She stepped into his field of view. He started to sob. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Shh! I fucked it up, Gwenny. I fucked us up. She smiled, shrugged slightly. Then you fixed it. That's what matters. He got himself together, sniffed. I still don't understand. Where's the kaiju? It dug a hole in the hillside, she said. It's gone. Just disappeared into the earth. Is everybody... We're all pretty beaten up, but you're the worst. He sighed. I've been beating myself up for eight years. Not unkindly, she said, Yeah, well, little self-inspection might be in order, Reginald, for, you know, safety's sake. The destruction, the injured, the dead. Why? Ben thinks you were touched in Berlin. But it doesn't work that way, and that thing wasn't even Fenris. She spread her arms. Hey, I don't know how this stuff works. Nobody does, Reggie thought. Not really. He was too relieved to sift through the implications. Me neither. He closed his eyes. Reggie remembered how Fargello had shielded Gwen with his body. Stayed with her when she needed someone. When he opened his eyes, he saw Fargello there with her. They were holding hands. Hey. Fargello smiled. Hey there! Reggie said, Congratulations.
0: And that was our story. From now on, when I think about relationship and communication problems and say to myself, it could be worse, this story is what I'll be thinking about. Bit of administrivia here. It seems to be award season for podcasting. I'm very, very honored that many of you have acted to nominate Escape Pod for the Parsec Awards, the Podcast Awards, and nominated Escape Pod Classic for the Podcast Peer Awards. Thank you all. Of these three awards, only the Podcast Awards allow open voting from podcast listeners. If you'd like to vote for Escape Pod in the entertainment category, you're welcome to go to podcastawards.com and choose, well, any of your favorite podcasts. Voting's open until August 15th, and you can vote once every 24 hours. That seems a bit much to me, too, and I'm not going to be pushy about it. If it sounds like fun, go for it. And there are a lot of other great shows, too, that deserve to be recognized. Again, that's podcastawards.com. And enough of that. So, three weeks ago, we ran N.K. Jemisin's environmental post-Exodus piece, Cloud Dragon Skies. Once again, the feedback was primarily positive. There was a lot of praise for Maya Whitaker's reading, and many people were very taken by the imagery and by the strong female protagonist. Elias, on our blog, felt that the story ran through too many cliches. Noble savages and naive scientists, a strong woman who will not be tamed by the men in her village, etc., and C. Hornby thought it was trite. But for the most part, the criticism and discussion weren't on style, but specifics. And I really like that. Mr. Tweedy felt that the main character, Nahu, too, was conceited and made a somewhat unreliable narrator. Several people agreed with that, and this provoked an intriguing debate about whether that was a strength or a weakness. A lot of people were also interested in the nature of the clouds, whether they were truly alive, how literal the dragons were, and so forth. Again, great stuff. Maya also asked me to let you know that she'll be podcasting an interview with the author, N.K. Jemisin, via TalkShoe. Unfortunately, that'll be this evening, and by the time anyone hears this, I suspect it'll be too late to tune in live. But we'll have a link to the podcast in these episode notes at escapepod.org. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. If you like what you're doing, please blog about us or tell a friend. If you don't like what we're doing, please let us know. We're your friend, right? If you can, please consider donating via the PayPal link on our site so that we can continue to support our authors. And be sure to check out Pseudopod at pseudopod.org for the best in short horror fiction. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju, a more perfect story for them we have not done. Check them out at daikaiju.org. That was our show for this week. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, read a story out loud to someone you love. This means you, Ben, in Norcross. Don't you have Xenoside to finish? And have fun.